Welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Those seven pillars are courage, drive and accountability, ability to motivate others, integrity, grit, great communication skills, and high emotional intelligence. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. For more information on the podcast or Talent 409, please visit talent409.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter, at ColinTalent409. The Dynamic Leaders Facebook group is also a great way to interact. Type in Dynamic Leaders in your search bar and ask for an invitation to this exclusive group full of leading professionals. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute. And on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Leaving a review really does help grow the show and helps other people find us, and we really appreciate each and every review. On today's episode of the podcast, I have Danica Eaton. Danica is a former collegiate tennis player at Florida State University. She now runs her own company. It's an online company called Online Athlete that helps freshman-level collegiate athletes ease their transition from high school to college in a number of different things such as strength and conditioning, nutrition, and psychological support. Danica has a really unique background. She is originally from England, came over to the States to play tennis. This is an awesome conversation. She's really insightful, really bright young woman, and I'm so excited to share this with everybody. But first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's jam with the white stripes. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have Danica Eaton on the line with me. Danica, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. And we're going to dive right into this conversation. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. You have such a unique background and I don't want to steal the spotlight from you, but please tell the audience, who are you? to America in 2011. I got a tennis scholarship at Florida State University. I'm originally from England, if you can't tell by the accent. I was there for five years. I did my undergrad in sport management and my master's there, which was fantastic. I really enjoyed, you know, every single part of uh, college tennis life and, you know, American college life in general. And then, yeah, after that, I actually went into college coaching. I coached the women's tennis team at Columbia University in New York. Uh, and then I moved to North Carolina, where I assisted the Wake Forest women's tennis team as well, before getting into and starting my, my own uh, sports performance company called Online Athletes. So, yeah, it's moved pretty quick since, you know, I graduated and everything's kind of changed and moved on. But, yeah, really enjoying it and loving where I'm at right now. We've got a lot to unfold there. I want to start with, (laughs) I can't even really wrap my head around this because the recruiting process and the college application process being in America and trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do in for an American university was difficult enough. How did you go about that process being overseas and understanding that maybe was it something to do with athletics that you wanted to come over here and play at a higher level? What was that process like for you? I mean, to be honest, I did not know much about college athletics at all. I trained at the National Tennis Center in uh, in London, 
And it was actually my parents that started speaking to um, recruiting agencies about the option of continuing my education while, you know, playing tennis. And it was actually them who, you know, told me, okay, you need to take your SAT, you need to do, you know, this and that to make sure that you're eligible for college in case you, you know, want to go down that route. And it wasn't until um, the Florida State coach actually came to watch me play at Junior Wimbledon in, I think it was June. And then I ended up committing to Florida State two weeks later and ended up going in that August. So it was a real, real rush for me. Uh, I, I didn't visit or anything like that. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It's kind of a quick, quick decision. Um, wow. But yeah, I'm really glad, really glad I made it, you know, because for athletes, your career is very short. So to have that educational background behind you, it was uh, fantastic for me. And now I'm kind of loving the fact that I have my master's and my undergrad, you know, sitting behind me. So it's great. So I love when I bring former athletes on and they just kind of glaze over the fact that they were pretty good at the sport that they played. And they're very, very humble, yourself included. You were even before, I think, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, but even before you got to uh, Florida State, you were a pretty decorated tennis player, obviously to have been recognized and be able to come over to America and continue to play and get your education Tell us a little bit more about your athletic experiences, your accolades, what it was like for you in terms of uh, some of the accomplishments you had. Yeah, so um, I'm from a very um, small county in the north of England. Um, There is not a lot of tennis players. It's a place called Cumbria. It's near the Lake District. When I was 16, I was lucky enough to be chosen and kind of headhunted by the um, Tennis Federation in the United Kingdom, and they wanted me to move down to London and train full-time at the uh, the National Tennis Centre. So actually, when when I was 16, I left home, I left my parents, and I moved to London uh, by myself. I lived with like a host family, and that's kind of where it all started for me. Uh, between 16 to 18, I played on the professional tour as well as, you know, still playing some junior events. And yeah, like I said, it wasn't until... You know, I got to um, that junior Wimbledon time at the end of, you know, when I was 18 that I thought about the college tennis route. You know, I've been fortunate enough to play for Great Britain, which was, you know, fantastic experience while I was in college as well as before. So, yeah, just, you know, those experiences and those opportunities that I've had and, you know, I've had to grow up pretty quickly from a young age. I think that really helped my transition to college tennis and, you know, moving to a different country, you know, miles and miles away from, from my home. So I think all the little experiences and opportunities that I've had from such a young age have really helped that. So you mentioned growing up quickly and also when you were 16, you move out of your parents' house to go and train more competitively so you can continue to move up. Was this a decision that was like a joint decision between you and your family? Was it something that you said, hey, mom and dad, I want to do this. I want to take this step. I mean, when you're 16, it's not, you know, I, I, I think about gymnastics and some of the famous people that have come on the Olympic scene over the years. And you hear about how they have to leave when they're, I don't know, 10 years old or something like that to go train. It's, it's a little bit earlier than even 16 because around the time you're like 16 is when you're competing in the Olympics. And I can't even imagine making that type of life decision. So I'm just curious as to how you got to make that decision and where it came from. I mean, I think it definitely helped. You know, the fact that I said earlier where we lived, we had uh, very limited opportunities. We had to um, travel long distances just to play tournaments. Um, I actually got on the train and I, you know, I traveled two hours just to practice some days because there was no one to practice with where I lived. So I feel like that made my decision to move to London a lot easier. I feel like it was a joint decision. It was kind of, it was a no brainer, I guess, in regards to um, how it would help improve my tennis because I was training full time with, you know, the best, best players in the country um, was fortunate enough to get all my training and everything paid for. So I was really lucky in, in that aspect. And, you know, my parents were really, really supportive of me um, at such a young, young age. They're both athletes themselves, so they kind of know um, the sporting background very, very well. And I think, you know, they just realized and I realized that this opportunity was going to be fantastic for me. And, you know, like I said, it was it was a little bit of a no-brainer. I mean, I, I was 
I was apprehensive to start with, you know, I got upset when, you know, my parents left and, you know, and things like that. I, I didn't find it easy, not not at all, but it was definitely the right thing for me to do and definitely a joint decision as well. So, Excellent. So tell me, you get to Florida State, what was the biggest thing that surprised you right away? Like you got there and you're like, oh man, I, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I mean, I did not visit any American universities, so I had no idea what to expect. I remember arriving on campus and there just being like palm trees <laughs> everywhere. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, I'm playing tennis and I can just see palm trees. It's really hot. You know, I have all um, my teammates here around me. So that honestly, that was the first thing that kind of hit home to me. But, you know, as soon as I kind of settled in and got into the routine, I absolutely loved the team aspect of everything. You know, tennis is a very individual sport. Um, So to be part of a team and to be all aiming and striving for one thing was really, really special. And it was great to be part of something, you know, bigger than yourself. That was kind of unique. And it's very different for individual sports like tennis to be part of something like that. I I think that was probably the main thing that I enjoyed the most out of being on that team. Yeah, talk to us a little bit more about that specific dynamic. I played baseball, which in some ways is similar to tennis. Like a lot of what you do is in an individual. Like you're not you're not running up and down the court like you are on a basketball team where you need to cut and move and all be in this flow. Like baseball, you're at the plate, the pitcher's throwing them out. Like it's very individualized, even though there's that team aspect to it. And I'm really curious how I think tennis is even more slighted to that individual aspect how as a player and as a team were you able to keep the concept of the bigger picture in place knowing how important it was for your individual contributions to what it was you ultimately wanted to find in your success yeah I mean I think for every incoming freshman that's playing tennis at university they come in I feel like they have kind of a similar issue to what I had you kind of come in you buy yourself and you know like I said tennis is a very individual sport you need to improve individually you know everyone um, has to do different things has different strength has different weaknesses their practices can be very different on a day-to-day basis Um, but then you're kind of thrown into this team atmosphere and it's kind of like all for one you know one for all type of thing and, you know, no matter no matter what you do and how you train, if you're having a bad day, your teammates are there to pick you up. And, you know, if you're having a great day and your teammate isn't, then it's kind of your job to pick them up and kind of, you know, lead in a sense and, you know, give them motivation to, you know, have a good practice and, and you know, play well. But I think the, the biggest part for me was um, when we were competing, you know, there was six of us uh, playing singles, you know, we we're kind of all in a line, six courts in a row. And um, you can just hear, you know, your teammates saying, come on, or, you know, getting really pumped after a good point. And that kind of feeds back to you again. It gives you that motivation to work a little bit harder. And, you know, it kind of works both ways. If, you know, if you're not feeling good that day and you're having you're having a bad day on the court, then, you know, your teammate can kind of get you going and be like, come on, you can do this. Um, let's do it together kind of thing. So. That's definitely a big thing for me, even though tennis is very individual and you need to improve individually. You have that team support system that is out there with you at the same time, which you never get. You never get professional tournaments. Yes, you have, you know, your coach sitting on the sideline, you know, trying to encourage you, but it, but they're not out there with you. You know, having that teammate that's out there with you competing, um, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a cool thing. It seems like when you came into the situation or when you came into your team at Florida State, that that culture was already there, that team-like culture. It doesn't seem like it was something that was necessarily lacking when you came in. How important was it for you? Like, Did you feel a certain sense of responsibility to uphold that culture and know that when you were done playing at Florida State – the freshmen that were coming in after you were going to come into the same type of culture that you came into when you were a freshman? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's down to the coach as well. Jen, my coach, Coach Hyde, she had created such a good team environment for all your athletes coming in. And, you know, she made a big emphasis to the freshmen, you know, that this is a team thing. We win as a team. uh, We lose as a team. 
And, you know, she made a big, big, you know, emphasis, you know, on the freshman athletes of this is what we do. This is how we do it. Um, it's a very team orientated, you know, if, if we're getting up at 6am doing track workouts, we do it together. You know, when we win, we win together. And you, a good example, um, I guess, of that and how she created that culture. Uh, we had um, certain rules, like like any team, you know, you, you can't be late to practice, you know, etc. things like that. We had one freebie of being late. And unfortunately, my teammate had used up all her freebies and our coach, you know, punished us for being late. And it wasn't just the athlete who was late to that practice. It was the whole team, you know. And again, it's we're all, all, all in this together. If one person kind of messes up, we kind of all take the brunt of the force. If we all do well, to, uh, sorry, one of us do does well, we all do well together. So again, I think that's that's down to the coach creating that culture and then again um, as athletes we adhere to it and we respect the culture she you know she has on that team and yeah we thrive on it yeah that's amazing and like you pointed out it really does start at the top and just kind of trickles down like if you have that leadership with your coaching staff and they have that leadership at the administrator level then it allows the teams to also, I feel like personally, at least succeed and become more of like player led teams. Like you guys understood. I mean, I'm sure that example you just gave us, I'm sure that person probably didn't show up late again, knowing that it wasn't just her that got punished. It was the entire team. And it, it's one of those accountability things that, you know, that's, that's something that as a team you learned and, you know, the coach had to hand out that punishment, but your coach ultimately wanted you all to learn that, your individual decisions affect the entirety of the team. And I think she got that point across in that specific example that you gave. Exactly. She told us to meet at the top of a parking lot at 5 a.m. the next morning to do <laughs> some, um, you know, hill sprints. Yeah. And uh, to her credit, she, she didn't show up. She was still in bed. So the whole, the whole team was there at 5 a.m. on the top of this parking garage waiting for her to show up. And uh, yeah, she, she pulled a good one there. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) I want to get a little bit deeper into your specific adjustment period, because not only did you have to come overseas here to America and be on the tennis team and perform, but you also had the educational side and just the social side of adjusting. What was that like for you? Did you find it difficult? Did you find it? I mean, you said there were palm trees and it seemed like that made you happy, but what was the experience like for you? I think it was better for me because there was a lot of international student athletes on the tennis team. So there was a lot of uh, my friends and my teammates that were in the same position that I was. One of my best friends, she was from Australia. She was on the tennis team. She came in the same time as me. We had um, athletes from all over the world. You know, I think we only had probably one or two Americans. So that kind of gave me comfort in knowing that my teammates were in the same position and if I was having a bad day, I was missing home, you know, they were kind of, you know, they could potentially be feeling the same thing. And again, we pick, pick each other up and work as a team and kind of get through it and get through it together. So I feel like that definitely helped. I feel like if I was maybe on a team with, you know, eight other American um, athletes who not traveled as far as I had, and the time difference wasn't an issue, ringing, you know, ringing your family back home and things like that. I could have felt a little bit more homesick, but um, because I had other athletes and my friends there to, to help me get through it, I feel like it was an easier adjustment for me to come over to Florida State. Did you have aspirations to play at the next level, like professionally, when you came over? Yeah, I did. I definitely did. During my uh, during the summer uh, breaks of you know the, the college, the semesters and things like that, I played a lot of professional tournaments. And then it wasn't until about my junior year that I took that summer off because I was just super, super tired um, and just kind of needed a little bit of a break and I played less tournaments. And then from then, I kind of transitioned more into, uh, I'm not quite sure if I want to play on the professional level again. Maybe I can go to coaching. Maybe I'll play some doubles. Um, but yeah, when I when I started, that was definitely that was definitely my goal. And you know, like I said, I played a lot of professional tournaments during the summer to keep that up. And it wasn't until the latter stages of my college career that that kind of switched for me. And on top of that, I mean, you face an even deeper 
dilemma than a lot of us when we're getting to that point where we're graduating and maybe professional level is on the table. Maybe it's not, but for you, and I don't know what your thought process was, there might've been an opportunity to go back home or there might've been an opportunity to stay here. So talk to me a little bit about what that was like and how you kind of worked through all that. Yeah, so for international students that go to American University, they get an opportunity to get a work visa for one year after you graduate. It's called an OPT visa, and it allows you to work anywhere in the world, uh, sorry, anywhere in the States. You know, you can use this OPT visa for one year of work, and then that gives you the potential to carry on if your company or wherever you're working wants to sponsor you to carry on from there. So after I did my uh, master's degree at Florida State, I had this opportunity to use my OPT. So I was actively searching for you know potential coaching jobs. Uh, and I was uh, working in Long Island at the time, just in, in the summer, partly doing an internship that I, had, I needed to do for my degree when um, a job came up at Columbia University. And yeah, I, I went through the interview process, the assistant coach position, position there, and I was fortunate enough to get it. So then I used my OPT for that job. And then after that, my, hus- uh, my husband now, uh, he, he came over and he got a job in the States as well. So then we both moved uh, to North Carolina from there. So it kind of all fell into place really. But yeah, going back to your, your question that the visa part of it for any uh, international student coming to the United States is always a tough process and it's hard to figure out what exactly you need um, to get that visa. But yeah, I was fortunate enough to get that OPT, which kind of led to where I am now. So was there any apprehension amongst maybe, I don't know how many places you ended up interviewing when you went out to try to find a job, but was there any apprehension amongst any of the employers that you talked to about the fact that you were going to need a sponsorship after year one, or did your your background and your experience up to that point kind of speak for its, itself, especially knowing that you kind of stayed in the same industry? Yeah, I mean, there's actually a lot of coaches, college tennis coaches that are international and that have got gone through the visa process. So I feel like that made it a little bit easier. Uh, there is there is schools that um, will flatly deny or we do not give, you know, H-1B visas um, to our coaches and they just stay with the Americans. But then obviously a lot bigger schools that, you know, have that have that freedom. I was fortunate enough that my coach, uh, sorry, my boss understood that. And, uh, you know, I spoke to her about it and, you know, she, she was fine. She was absolutely fine with that. But, yeah, there is some schools that do not offer that, um, that visa service. So I had to be selective and I had to go for quite a big school because obviously the smaller schools might not have the funds to, you know, pay for a visa and the sponsorship for, a, for an employer. So. so it seemed like you were pretty strong on the fact that you wanted to get into coaching. That was where you you mentioned towards the end of your collegiate career, your thought process started to change a little bit. You decided that maybe professional level tennis wasn't for you, but coaching could be an avenue that you could find happiness and fulfillment in. Yeah. Was there any other profession or any type of job that maybe you were considering that you haven't explored yet that, I don't know, maybe 20 years from now, if like an opportunity popped up, you'd be thinking about it. Or was it just you know, as simple as, hey, tennis is my passion. I want to stay in it. And coaching is the best way I know how to do that. I did. I did enjoy sport marketing. Uh, I did kind of go down that avenue when I was in my junior year. I realized that my resume uh, was looking pretty empty other than my uh, sporting achievements. So I thought that I needed to do something about that to try and you know, beef it up a little bit. So I went into the Florida State Marketing Department and I just asked if I could, you know, volunteer, just help out a couple of hours a week just so I could put something on my, my resume. So I had some interest in that. But yeah, I just have a huge passion for sport, um, tennis, obviously, in general, and I wanted to stay in that competitive environment. environment. So for me, it's, I don't know what will happen in the future. Like I've started this company, um, online athlete, and again, that's also in the college athletics realm. So right now, I'm absolutely loving it, and there is potential to move back to England, you know, in the future. But right now, I'm having a great time here and um, really enjoying the college athletics life. 
Now you threw in this other wrinkle that I didn't know about, but is an interesting part to your story. So you met your husband back in England before you yeah. came over? Yeah, he was um, also training at the National Tennis Center in England like I was. So I met him when I moved down there at about 17. I met him. Um, and then, yeah, we st- we started dating before I went to Florida State all throughout college. Uh, and then, yeah, he moved out to work at Wake Forest as the men's tennis coach in Ooh, I think it would have been 2016, the end of 2016. So that whole time he was, while you were at Florida State, he was still in England? Yeah, he was playing professional tennis. So he was traveling around playing lots and lots of tournaments. So I could probably see him once a semester. He came to visit me in between in between tournaments. And then obviously when I went back to England in the summer and winter breaks, uh, I, I saw him then. So yeah, long distance. <laughs> yeah, long distance for real. That's that's yeah. true long distance. <laughs> you got to cross an ocean to see each other. Yeah, so time difference was, was tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even imagine. And I'm curious because your husband did play at the professional level. Yeah. Did that have any influence on your decision process? Like you said, how that kind of changed knowing the experiences that he went through and the time commitments maybe and the different things that he was doing, did that influence your decision-making process at all? Yeah, I think it probably, it probably did. Uh, I knew how, I I knew that, you know, if you wanted to play tennis professionally, you had to give it your all. And I think uh, I had been traveling so much and been living out of a suitcase for so long that I didn't necessarily want to keep traveling and, you know, being away from, home as a sense um you know and and keep doing that so I think him already going through it um he was super supportive of me whatever I I decided to do but I think yeah definitely knowing that what he had been through and knowing how how hard he worked for all those years um it, it yeah it definitely it definitely um crossed my mind Are you an all-or-nothing person? Do you find you're either on or off the health and fitness wagon? Sweat with Stods has a program that helps you turn habits and fitness into a lifestyle. Healthy Habits is a program designed to help you make lasting, incremental changes in your life that culminate into six new healthy habits. No working out required. With a few intentional minutes every day, you can have a huge impact on your health and life. This program focuses on water intake, steps per day, veggie intake, meditation, gratitude, and stretching. Six habits that will help you look and feel your best. And my listeners get a discount. Head to sweatwithstods.com and enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout for $10 off this program. I've done this program and one of the best things that came from it for me was to incorporate stretching and meditation into my daily routine. It does work. It's not an overnight process, but it's easy. It's incremental, and you should really give it a try. And now back to the pod. As I sit here and I try to dissect who you are, uh, we've had you know a brief conversation before this call, and I can gather some things from looking at you know different social profiles and online, it seems to me that overall, you're a very confident person. And I'm sure that comes from having a strong support system back home with your parents, maybe any siblings that you have and just family in general. And now that's continuing with your husband. And I'm curious, how do we get to be that confident when we're so young? Like when you're 16, you have these aspirations and you're deciding that you're going to move out. That's hard enough. But then when you're 18, you decide that you're going to cross an ocean to go to university. And like, you know, these, the way that you tell the story, it all seems like it was just a really natural flowing process, but I'm sure there were more, you know, challenging times and trying times and and things like that. But how do we, I, I don't want to lose sight of the confidence that you had in yourself, in your decision-making process to do the things that you thought were going to make you happy. And I'd love for you to give some guidance or some insight to 
audience members who are listening to this and say like, hey, if you have a tough decision to make, this is how I go about my decision-making process. Like these are the things I think about and this is how I get from point A to point B. What's that process like for you? So yeah, like I said, I am fortunate enough to have a great support system at home and that definitely stems from, you know, it starts with my parents and I think it helped that, you know, they were both athletes themselves and they understood um, the sacrifices that maybe I'd have to make. Also, my brother is a strength and conditioning coach as well. And so he's obviously had to make those sacrifices. And again, being in the sporting background. And yeah, like you said, it was not all plain sailing. You know, when I first went to Florida State, I was ineligible uh, because of some academic work and playing professionally. So when all that was kind of going on, I wasn't able to compete straight away for the team so I had to travel to professional tournaments by myself I took like the Greyhound uh, you know bus service didn't know what it was at the time took that to tournaments and you know it was it was tough and I went through stages where you know I bring my parents at night crying and you know being upset and things about you know the challenges that I might face but again they were so supportive and I knew that they were behind me no matter what that um, it kind of got me through and I kind of I stayed tough and, you know, I stayed very independent in my decisions and, you know, I kind of stuck through it and eventually, you know, everything came around and it, and it was great. But yeah, I think that support system is, is huge. And I feel like if, you know, anybody who's listening that might be going through a tough situation, you know, call, call your support system, you know, get their thoughts on things. It's even now, you know, I, I, I call my mom and I call my dad and I say, Hey, I've just got this opportunity. What do you think? you know, just to get their thoughts on it, you know, call my husband, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And they might have two com- completely different paths of advice. You know, my parents might say one thing, my husband might say another, my brother might say something completely different, but it gives me all the information I might need to create, you know, something that I feel that, okay, I'm going to do it this way, but all that, all those pieces of information have helped me to make uh, my decision. So I think the main thing, you know, kind of wrapping all that up is definitely having that support system and reaching out to people if you need help and you need advice and you need, you know, just someone to talk to and, you know, bounce ideas off. I'd like to dive into this a little bit deeper and do a little exercise with you if you don't mind. You mentioned that there's a possibility that you could go back to England, you know, you and your husband at some point. Can you walk us through, so in addition to obviously soliciting that advice from family members and people closest to you, can you walk me through like what would be your actual process for a decision like that? Like where where do you start? Where does it finish? I don't need you to make the decision per se, but like how would you how would you approach it? Because that that's obviously a, a big decision in and I think like getting even more granular with your process and learning about how you go about things could really help people. For sure. I, I think a lot, a lot of decisions in my life, um, you know, moving to America is actually quite, it's not dependent on me per se. It's dependent on, you know, if we get visas, if we get, you know, opportunities, you know, if we, if schools allow uh, my husband to work with a visa, that type of thing. So if my husband doesn't get his visa renewed this year, we could be moving back to England in the next five months. And then that's that's a decision that's kind of taken out of our hands a little bit, which I guess makes it easier in regards to we don't have to, you know, go through that that tough situation. But if that, you know, if, if that wasn't the case and we had to make this decision by ourselves, I think it's I think it would definitely be okay the career we want and that we have here, can we, can we do it back in England? Right now that answer is no, because they don't have college athletics anywhere else in the world. You know, a tennis coach in America gets so many more opportunities and, you know, things like that compared to being back in England. So right now um, I think that decision will be a little bit easier on the fact of obviously the visa situation and the career goals. The only thing that would make it, Tougher would obviously be family. You know, we're here kind of by ourselves, our parents, and your support system is back home. But that's the good thing about Skype and FaceTime, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Brings you much closer. I Same thing with me. I mean, my wife and I are down in North Carolina as well. And my, most of my family's up in the Northeast uh, here in the United States. So 
we do a lot of FaceTiming and you know, a lot of phone calls and things like that. So it's nice that you do have those things that can uh, supplement a little bit. Obviously, it's not the same as being in the same exact location, but I like how you pointed out that there are always, and I think this is true with all situations, and that's why I like that you pointed this out. There are things that you can control, and there's things that you can't control. And yeah. you know, for you to spend a lot of time worrying about, you know, the visa, for example, unfortunately, that's just something that you can only control to a certain extent. You don't make that decision ultimately, you know, so not to get caught up in that and just think about the things that you can control and how you're going to approach those. I think that's really good advice for any decision that somebody's trying to make is figure out the things that are in your control, worry less about the things that you can't control. Yeah. I mean, you know, a good example is, you know, you can't guarantee anything in life and, when I had the opportunity, you know, I was looking, searching for the uh, um, Columbia job. My husband was also searching for a college coaching job as well. And, you know, we'd been um, in a long distance relationship at that time for five years. And obviously we were looking in jobs in different areas. And um, he was going through the visa process. I'd fortunately, you know, got that down OPT, so I was fine. But he was going through a separate visa process at the same time. And um, I had to make my decision based on um, myself individually because there was no guarantee he was even going to get his visa to work at Wake Forest. So I thought, okay, I'm going to use my OPT for the year that I have. You know, if we have to do long distance again for another year, then so be it. But again, you know, nothing's guaranteed. And I guess those little things that make your decisions a little bit easier because you have no control over it probably help. But yeah, that's just that's just the way it is, I guess, living in a in a different country. Absolutely. So you mentioned your company, Online Athlete. If you go to the homepage, it says it's an online sports program for strength and conditioning, nutrition, psychological support, allowing athletes to perform at their best when it matters the most. Yeah. What is this company all about and what made you want to start your own business? Yeah, so um, I don't have any background in business. Like I said, my degree was in sport management, so this is kind of a new thing for me, and I'm kind of learning as I go along, which you know I'm really enjoying. But when I was coaching and also playing, I guess, I noticed that there was a lot of incoming freshmen that would arrive at university very unprepared for college tennis. You know, they weren't ready for the work, the high level of workload. Um, they weren't uh, ready for the fitness tests, their level and their knowledge in the weight room was really low. And, you know, they were fatiguing quicker than their, their teammates in matches and practice. So I thought, okay, how can I help these incoming freshmen transition easier and have a better first year, better freshman year, reduce their injuries and just, you know, overall kind of help the athletes and the team. So this is where I uh, came up with online athletes. So basically, we design strength and conditioning programs, um, individual to each athlete, to help the athlete transition to college tennis effectively. And that's and that's kind of what we do. It's all, it's all online. So no matter where in the world the athlete is, I wanted I wanted that to be you know something that's really really important to me. Obviously, being an international athlete myself, I didn't just want this to be for American athletes or English athletes. We have athletes on the program right now uh, from Czech Republic, Canada, uh, England, Germany, so kind of all over. And it's it works in kind of an app aspect, I guess. You, you get your program to your phone, you take your phone to the gym, and you complete the program, you input your numbers, your data, um, and it just, you know, it works like that. Super, super easy. And our main goal is just to help those incoming freshmen transition a lot easier and be and be stronger and be fitter and reduce those injuries that, that occurs during the freshman year. That's super interesting. Now, how do you find athletes or do you seek them out or do they seek you out? Is it like a combination of the two? How does the, you don't need to tell me all the business model details, but how do you go about actually helping people? Yeah, so we're obviously a startup, so right now we're very new and we're trying to get our name out there and, you know, kind of market effectively. So over the last, you know, nine months, I've been doing a lot of the marketing myself. I've gone to recruiting, tennis recruiting showcases, um, and I'm going to continue to go to those uh, this this year as well and this summer 
get our name out there. I've re reached out to coaches. I've reached out to athletes. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have that college coaching and recruiting network from obviously playing and being a coach um, that I can reach out to those people and, you know, they can kind of help me. But, yeah, I have a lot of contacts with um, the athletes themselves and I explain to them, you know, what they should expect when they get there and, you know, we can help them in any way possible. Uh, we'll absolutely do that and that's our goal to help as many athletes. Now, how do you do everything, you know, the nutrition side, the psychological side, the strength and conditioning how do you like monitor those things if you're not in the same location? And I mean, I know if, so if I was in your shoes, I feel like it would be really hard for me to act as a professional on like all those different fronts. I mean, I might have like some knowledge in one or the other and be more of a, an expert in a different subject matter, but how do you go about getting them the proper education? Like who gives them that education for whatever it is, and then how do you go about monitoring their success or their continued challenges, just knowing that it is a virtual thing? Yeah, so we basically take care of the strength, strength and conditioning aspect. We have certified coaches who write the programs, and I'm certified in uh, speed and movement as well, so I do the speed and movement program. Uh, we have uh, a nutritionist and a psychologist that's on staff, and I basically, if the athletes want help with their nutrition or their psychology, I send them to those professionals. I don't actually deal with the nutrition and psychology part as I feel like, you know, the professionals in their field obviously know way, way more than I do and they can help the athlete um, more. So that, you know, if an athlete buys our program, they will get the strength and conditioning program and then they get access to the nutritionist and the psychology where they can um, access that separately, if that makes sense. Uh, and in, in regards to what you said about, you know, how, how do we check up on the athletes and things like that, we have uh, fitness tests that the athletes complete every month. At the end of every month, they get the same uh, fitness tests and we get the results through and we make sure we're monitoring them. We're seeing their progression. We're seeing their improvements um, so we can keep on building their next month program on top of already, you know, what they've already done. And we can see that progression and that improvement throughout the months that they're, that they're on our program. Very cool. And so you get the student athletes when they're incoming freshmen. How long can yeah. somebody stay with you? Like, can they stay with you throughout their entire collegiate career? Can they stay with you when they maybe so get to the professional level or... Yeah, I mean, so the the thing we say is for student for an incoming freshman to get the most out of you know preparation program with us, they should sign up three to six months prior to starting their college career. Once they start their college career, obviously their strength and conditioning is taken over by the university, by the their um, strength and conditioning coach, and by their tennis coach. So then they will cancel their subscription with us. They do their season, they do the semester, and then in the summer or the winter, if they want to come back and have a structured program with us, again, they can definitely do that. And again, they will cancel their subscription, you know, when they go back to college and already have that strength and conditioning um, aspect of their training uh, taken care of. And we do offer um, tour programs which is for athletes that have just recently graduated and want to go on the professional tour. Uh, again, it's a little bit cheaper than a normal strength and conditioning coach would be. Um, so a lot of the athletes kind of like to delve into that just to kind of get themselves started on the professional tour before they, you know, figure out kind of where they're going to be training full time and what exactly they're going to be doing. It's such an interesting concept. And I think it's amazing that you've been able to identify how to use the virtual world and help people, whether it's here in America or it's overseas or wherever it is, like you said, in multiple different locations versus just limiting yourself to your geographical location or even just one country or whatever it is. Like I know that's one of the things that I'm also exploring as a business owner. And I mentioned to you offline how on the podcast, I have listeners in multiple different countries that I just didn't even know until I was looking at analytics recently and things yeah. like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this message obviously resonates with more than just people here in America. It's like, how do you get outside of where you are and impact people and bring value to people? And I just think it's awesome that from the start, you were able to identify 
your program and what you were offering had value not only here in the United States or back home in England, but also in multiple different countries across the world. So very, very cool concept. Thank you for walking us through that. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I mean, the main thing that we're trying to do, a lot of athletes don't have the financial resources, you know, to pay for a strength and conditioning coach three, three to five times a week. They don't have the financial backing or backing from their federation uh, to be able to do it as well. So we, we wanted to create something that was affordable for those uh, mid-range athletes that maybe um, don't have that accessibility or financial funds to you know pay the greater prices for the product. In this part of the podcast now, as we transition, I like to have the guests talk a little bit about the seven pillars of dynamic leadership, which are introduced in the beginning of the podcast. And for our purposes today, I had you take a look through those seven pillars and you identified a couple that were important to you or that you feel like you have an expertise in. And I'd love for you to give us some insight and some uh, expertise advice on these couple topics that you had picked. The first pillar that you picked was driven and accountable. Why does that pillar stand out to you? I think that, you know, that stands out to me because when when I looked through the seven pillars that you you sent me, I think that stood out to me the most. And I feel like I could, that was the pillar that I have as a person. You know, I'm very driven and, you know, I'm very accountable. And I feel like that, the, the driven, the drivenness I have comes from my athletics and, you know, my tennis background and sporting background. And I feel like the accountability also resonates with that. You know, you have to be um, accountable to be a college athlete or a you know, professional athlete. You have to kind of make those sacrifices and, you know, get to the gym super early, even if you, you don't want to. And I feel like that goal that you have in your mind no matter how small, no matter how big, drives you every single day to kind of be the best, the best you can, or at least the best that you can do on that day, um, given given the circumstances. Yeah, and I totally agree with your assessment. I think your journey and your record speaks for itself as far as your driving accountability goes. And I think sports in general is just a really great platform for people to learn those skills. And yeah. I'd be really interested to get your Intake or your input, you know, say somebody is playing a musical instrument or doing something that, you know, sports is very competitive, even unfortunately, even at the childhood ages now, it's more cutthroat than ever before. And so you learn probably that drive a little bit earlier than maybe in some other industries or with some other hobbies or whatever you want to call it. If we're not playing sports, you know, like now you have to use your drive and accountability in your business or even on your day-to-day lifestyle. How do you maintain those traits and those attributes in things outside of sports? I think that a lot of the, you know, characteristics do come from your parents as well. And whether you're in sports or you're not, I feel like if, you know, you, as a parent, you kind of, speak to your child at a young age being like you know what do you want to do with your life you know how, how do you want your life to go and you know they could say I don't know be an astronaut or something something like that but that's a goal and that's a dream and I feel like as a parent or you know even peers if you allow that person to fully invest in that goal there's, there's nothing kind of stopping them kind of like, like your world your oyster and I think that's really important for every child, I guess, or every person in this world to know that if you really want to do something, um, there's nothing stopping you doing it. Yes, it might be, you know, hard, hard work and some some might be harder than others. But again, that's, I guess that's that drive that forces you to, let's see how far I can go in trying to create something, you know, for myself or, or for, for whatever. So I think it definitely stems from you know, a young age, whether you're in sports or not, and, you know, from your, again, your support system, your parents and, you know, the people, the people around you. If you see, if you see, you know, a friend um, working really hard, you know, trying to get better, like you said, musical instruments, musical instruments, getting better at guitar or something like that, you know, you kind of see that and you use that as motivation to maybe, you know, do something better yourself. And I think that's kind of a big, a big thing for me. I, the other um, pillar that I, I told you I was going to speak about possibly was uh, motivation 
And I think that being driven and accountable can kind of turn into that motivation. So I think that's kind of a cool aspect to, you know, potentially link those three together. Yeah, they definitely do link very close together. And I even thought about not having them both in the pillar list, but they are different in some ways. Like you said, I I do think that the driving accountability can lead to that motivation. And I think the other thing about it is that as a leader, you have to be a motivating person. Like you have to be able to motivate the people around you to want to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah. How do we do that? Like, do you, did you have coaches that inspired you to be that person? Like how did they go about motivating you to be the best tennis player you could be? I think, um, that goes back to, you know, if we're talking about uh, back in college, my coach's drive would motivate me. You know, she would come out to practice, have lots and lots of energy, you know, kind of be like feisty. And, you know, if we did something wrong in practice, she would kind of get on us about it and, you know, keep mentioning to us that, you know, come on, we've only got 48 hours or something before before our next match. And, you know, that was really her energy and her, her drive, I guess, would, would motivate me. And I think that that helped uh, myself and the other teammates as well. And, you know, it's like if you see a teammate working really, really hard in practice, you know, doing the extra sets, doing the extra reps, that really motivates you to try and to do that same thing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think what you're alluding to is leading by example and, mm-hmm. you know, not only leading by example, but somebody who's got – you know, a little bit of spunk to them, you know, they don't need to be mean or demeaning to you out on the court or whatever it is that you're doing for activity or a profession, but somebody that's going to get on you when they, when they need to, and somebody that's going to support you, whether you're doing well or whether you're not, I think everything that you just outlined right there, that's really what makes a motivational person. Like in my view, at least that's what makes them successful. Yeah. And I think that obviously everyone is different and in my opinion, what makes her such a good coach is that she is motivating to each individual differently, you know, because she could come to me and she could say those those things to me and that would, you know, fire me up. But there might be another teammate on my team that won't get fired up by the way she says something. They might need it to be spoken to a little bit calmer or in a, in a different way. And I think that, you know, her ability to speak to individuals and coach individuals differently you know, it kind of makes her stand out and be good at, good at what she does. I think a lot of people that I bring on and a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're always trying to improve. Like they're always open to learning and open to new ideas and different things like that. I know I consume a bunch of different types of content, whether it's books, podcasts, articles, all of the above. Is there like one or two pieces of content that you consume like on a regular basis that helps you with your learning and development, whether that's related to sports or to maybe your entrepreneurial journey right now? Is there anything that you find yourself like always wanting to listen to or read because you're just so into it and you can learn so much from it? I think in regards to kind of every day before going into like the podcasts and the books is probably my husband and his boss. <laughs> my husband's boss is probably the most hardworking person you've ever seen <laughs> in, uh, in college athletics. And it really, it really shows they just won the national championship, the NCAA championship last year. And I feel like having someone like that, and obviously my husband works extremely hard as well, kind of on your doorstep to watch and kind of follow every single day. It just makes you work even harder at what you do. Um, so I feel like having people and peers and, you know, family members even to look up to and, you know, follow footsteps, uh, follow footsteps of really, really helps in, in that regard. Podcasts. I, I listen to the um, Strength Coach podcast. I've been listening to that quite recently. And I just find it really interesting as they cover everything about sports performance, uh, sports enhancement and strength and conditioning in general. And obviously now that's what my company is about. I feel like there's always... Um, new ways to improve things and I feel like you know, there's a lot of coaches on there that I really respect like my foil Bill Parisi and you know just the way they talk about how they run their programs how you know they're successful in what they do um, I just find it interesting and you know ways to help me continually learn and improve improve my business 
And I've started actually, I haven't started it just yet, but I'm about to start um, Lean In by uh, Sheryl Sandberg about women, work, and the will to lead. So I haven't started that yet, but again, that's something that I'll be really interested to hearing what, you know, reading about what um, she kind of talks about in that in that book. Yeah, she's an awesome influencer. And I love how you pointed out that people in your life can really be great resources to learn from. And it's right there. It's the, it's that like low hanging fruit. Like you don't have to pay for it. They're just right there. And you can learn and you learn on a daily basis, like you said, from your husband's boss. And I think that's a really important thing to point out as well. In addition to other resources that you can learn from, learning firsthand from somebody is probably the most powerful way. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, seeing how they work and how hard they work day to day and then kind of seeing those and reaping the rewards from that, it's it's kind of unique. Sometimes I, I feel like you might not get that with a podcast or a book necessarily. So it's something different that you can really see the, the benefits and the success of. Absolutely. And I know you've shouted out a couple people here today, but I want to give you an opportunity to identify a specific dynamic leader in your life. And it can be the person maybe that you've already shouted out during the course of this podcast. But if there's anyone else that you want to give a quick shout out to that's a leader in your life. Yeah, I, I would definitely say my uh, college coach, Coach Jen Hyde, if there's any listeners uh, wanting to play college tennis, definitely um, speak to Coach Hyde at Florida State. She's absolutely fantastic, and she she has really helped uh, mold the person that I am today. Obviously, I was with her for five for five years, and as a coach, I think she's she's fantastic. She's obviously has the drive and the accountability that we already spoke about, as well as the motivation. But you know, she's a, also a great communicator, and she has really strong morals and principles. And you know, she's a great person to play for. Um, you know, if I had the opportunity to work for her or to work with her, I, you know, I would jump at the chance. And, you know, I feel like I can learn, I can still learn a lot from her. And I have learned a lot in the past. I just think she's, she's fantastic. And, and yeah, she's, she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I hope she takes an opportunity to listen to this and, and hear yeah. that because obviously, <laughs> yeah, obviously she's made an impact on you. And I think that's awesome when you can learn from somebody who's got the experience and is probably in a place where maybe you want to get to one day, you know, as far as like the influence that she has and the things that you're looking to do, maybe not in the exact same way, given that you're trending towards an online digital thing, but you know, to have that same influence that she does and for other people to say the things about you that you say about her, I I can imagine that's kind of where you want to be if you can fast forward your life in a little bit. Sure. Well, before I let you go, I want to make sure I give you an opportunity. There's a lot of exciting things, obviously, as you walked us through with Online Athlete, but if there's anything special you got coming up or anything you want to plug about it before we let you get going here? Yeah, I mean, you know, if there's anyone uh, in the college athletics industry that's interested in you know what I've kind of talked about and what we do please don't hesitate to get in touch our website is uh, www.onlineathlete.org we have lots of information on there about what we do so our Instagram handle is um, onlineathlete and yeah you can find me on there or even even on Facebook just don't hesitate to ask and you know like I said Previously, our main goal is to help as many athletes transition to uh, college athletics as possible and really help um, their transition be effective and you know successful. And we will post that information in the show notes for anybody who's listening. Easy reference, as we always do for our guests. So if anybody wants to get in touch or learn more about you or the organization, that'll be real easy, like I said, to reference. But Danica, I... Really appreciate you taking time. It's such a unique story. And I was so glad when we connected that you were interested in coming on because I think your story is powerful and can show that so many different avenues are out there and so many different things to do. And I mean, you're still very young in your journey. And I know you have a lot of excitement ahead of you, but I appreciate you taking some time to come on today to tell us a little bit more about it. And you're a great dynamic leader and certainly wish you the best moving forward. 
yeah thank you so much i really appreciate the time and obviously you reaching out that's fantastic thank you so much Thanks again to Danica for hopping on the podcast today and sharing her story for starting out in England and now here in the United States, her tennis journey, her entrepreneurship journey, all the lessons learned. She's got a great head on her and she's going to do some amazing things here in the future and she's already accomplished so much and I appreciate all the time that she took to come on the podcast and tell her story and share her insight and expertise I want to thank our sponsor, again, Sweat with Stods. Make sure you go to sweatwithstods.com to check out any offerings that she currently has. Thanks again to you, as always, the listeners, for taking time out of your busy day to give us a listen. We are back next week with another amazing guest, so stay tuned for that.